Hip Hop Hustle Podcast, man. You heard it here first. He's not playing. No, Aaron's not playing. No fucking game. You got your ear to the streets, man. Much love to all the people down under. And make sure y'all follow the Hip Hop Hustle podcast, man, because they're giving y'all nothing but the real shit. But yeah, man, appreciate the intro, bro. Yeah, let's do it, man. Let's kick it off. Shout out to the whole Hip Hop Hustle podcast. What's up with it? It's official. For the first time ever, we have Hip Hop Hustle podcast merch. From hoodies to T-shirts to hats and even slides, go to the hiphophustlepodcast.com to get yours. All right. There we go. We're on. We're live. Welcome to the Hip Hop Hustle podcast. I'm with uh, my next guest, a fantastic artist, one of the producers who's making uh the the best beats that that I've seen for for a while. Uh, it is the one and only Neff. You see him as produced by Neff around the block as well. Um, worked with some absolutely amazing artists in terms of terminology. You've got Nems, you've got Rome Streets, you've got Mickey Facts. You've the the list literally goes on and on. And you've got your recent project that came out, Radio Days, as well. Um, with uh, Bobby J from Rocker Rockaway, um, and that was that project is so good. I was listening to it before this, and the the beats on there, I was like, even before I listened to the lyrics, the beats just feel good. So, man, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you, thank you for uh, reaching out. Thank you for the ill introduction. Just being here is dope, man. I love like that we can have technology and like you're. Did you say you're in Sydney right now? Melbourne, Melbourne. What time is it right there? It is 7 a.m. on the nose. Insane. Amazing. <laughs> I appreciate you being up early to do this and, like, you know, coordinating, knowing the time over here and everything. Um, but, yeah, it's dope. Like, it's dope that we can just do stuff like this. You know, hip-hop is huge. It's worldwide. But, like, it's like you know, some technology is kind of weird these days. But stuff like this is beautiful, man. It's dope. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And I cannot agree more. Like, I – like – you know, COVID was really weird. I think for everybody, we were getting used to the technology age and just like moving into, but things like being able to connect with people literally around the world about a genre of music that we both love is is just, I never thought honestly that this is where my life would be at some stage where we could actually do this or this was like a reality. Yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah, okay, yeah, cool. Like people been going on tour in Europe and like vice versa and stuff like that. But to have this like instant thing happen, like you said, the lockdown, remember, it's like, all right, Friday night. All right. Who's who's the DJ you're going to watch tonight? All right. We're going club hopping in your bedroom, just like checking to see which live stream going back and forth. So, yeah, it's dope. I feel, you know, it's just a good time right now. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think that like COVID in a weird way elevated hip hop or do you think it was ultimately a bit of a, a detractor like how do you view those two years or so where like no one really knew where the world would end up yeah i mean i think like for me it was amazing for me i loved every second of it i obviously it was a dark time for the world a lot of people were sick a lot of people died but like taking that away like my own personal bubble my own personal spot like um, me and my girlfriend, we had a child. I made a ton of beats. Like we moved, you know, me and Term opened up a studio together. Like I finished my project that I was working on. 
Um, I, th- you know, it's hard to say as a whole. I think it, it definitely helped as a whole technology wise, I think. Um, but it really, it was like, did it help you? Did it help you? Did it hurt you? Like, did it, did you let it get the best of you? Cause I know a lot of people that went through like major depressions in it and, you know, they weren't able to get this stuff done and they got caught up in like watching Netflix and TV and whatnot the whole time. And some people also did that and needed that space. But then there's, you know, for me, it was like, all right, I have my day written out. Like I have to be disciplined, get stuff done. I was live streaming. Um, I was one of the first people to do like a live stream beat making thing where you could see the different angles. And uh, I just ran with that. I think I made like maybe 300 beats in a two and a half month, three month period. Yeah, it was dope. So do you think that that is the discipline you've always had or did it, was it new? when you were like, okay, this is a new scenario. What are we going to do? How are we going to get through it? Well, so um, I'll break the ice with this. Is like I'm, I'm in long-term um, recovery from drugs and alcohol. So like before that, not so much. Um, but with like working a program of Alcoholics Anonymous and doing those kind of self-development things and retreats and seminars and whatnot, I have been a disciplined guy for a long time. Um, so yeah, before that I was, um, I'll tell you like moving to New York, it was hard to keep those disciplines because it's just like, go, 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 go. You're running late. You're doing this, you're doing that. Um, so it was, it was more so like getting to know my disciplines again and like going back to what I was. Cause when I started doing music full time, it was like that. When I moved to New York, I kind of had to just keep what I could and just kind of go with the flow a little more. So, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I heard, you know, a lot of people struggled during that period with their vices because oh, yeah. they were like, just like, I have nothing else to do. Like I'm just in this room essentially, or, or I'm in my place, I'm in my apartment and I'm trying to figure out the time. I don't really have a lot to do because I was working a nine to five. I cannot work my nine to five anymore or it's really scaled back. And so it's interesting hearing you be like, you know, I was able to double down on my like creativity on a routine and really make sure that, you know, my vices remain in the past as opposed to getting the best of me again. No, for sure. It was like in New York, it was crazy. It's like, all right, when the, when the, curfew got like lifted and it was like a partial lockdown situation for a while like people were drinking in the street you could get alcohol delivered to your crib you could get a drink delivered to your crib it was the wild wild west and nobody cared and then it went to like somewhat normalcy and it was like oh okay all right but yeah i mean i definitely i definitely know people and her you know it's it's easy to get caught up that way you know i mean it's just it's just idle time. And But how did you manage it? Like, because I'm interested in, in the journey of like, because it became so available, it became so normalized. Um, and yeah, it's tough because you don't see the end. I think that's the hardest part. You don't really know when it's going to end. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's like with, with drinking and stuff like that, like it's that part of my life is so far gone. So it's more like a, 
you know, watching that stuff go by. I'm just so far, you know, it's been, uh, it'll be 15 years in a, in a couple of months. In a few oh, months. Congratulations. Um, so it's like that part is so far gone. And I'm, you know, I'm in hip hop, like it, I'm around it all the time. I, um, I just, for me, it was like, I had to get my foundation very solid before I could go into that. Like anyone that listens to this or just in the world, like if you are someone that gets sober, like definitely like take a step back for a while. Like I wouldn't, I would not have gone into like the hip hop music scene like my first year or first couple years of sobriety. But it's like once you get that foundation, they even talk about it in the book Alcoholics Anonymous. If you're spiritually fit, you can go where any other man can. You know what I mean? And you can also, um, you know, you can keep booze in your house to entertain people. And it's like that's where I'm at in in this state. And in this time in my life where I'm like, hey, if I'm if I'm feeling good, I can go anywhere. I'm not going to be tempted. Yeah. I mean, I think that that should be a good place for anyone to be. Um, I think if you like, I think that's a good test to be like, hey, if you buy a bottle of wine and you have you end up always being the person who drinks it, that's probably not a good sign. Well, look into that. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. But but that's really interesting. Like. Because how did you get into hip-hop? Like, what was your kind of evolution? Because obviously um, you've been doing it for a while and you've made a lot of great connections, but what was your, like, beginning steps to getting in there? Like, the real beginning, you know, I grew up in a super small town that didn't really have a lot of hip-hop. So, like, I grew up on, like, hippie music and then was, like, into, like, like 90s skater, like, rock alternative for a while. And, like, I heard some hip-hop from, like, my older sister, but that was, like, you know, like, Lauren Hill and, like, uh, like Eminem and Dre, like, really big artists. And then I started working in kitchens. I was getting in trouble. Um, and I started working in kitchens because I had the, you know, probation, parole, whatever officer that was calling me said that one of the stipulations was I had to get a job. So I got a job working as a dishwasher and there was two cooks that were into like super underground, like nerdy hip hop. And, you know, they're introducing me to all this. So it's like, I got into like the stones throw deaf jucks, like that kind of era right away. And then had to like reverse engineer over time of like, you know, 90s stuff and like origins and things like that. Um, but so listening to it every day, and then I was dating a chick that her her cousin had just got out on parole. Like, he just got out of jail, was on parole, was living with her dad. She was living with me. I was, like, 15 years old. I was We were living together. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, in my parents' basement, like, little apartment situation. And, um, and he DJed. And he had, like, all these stacks of records that he brought in with him. He like set up a turntable in like the corner of her room because she wasn't really there that much. And we would go stay there every once in a while because we could drink there. We could like, you know, no one cared. Like we could just do whatever we wanted there. And uh, I just remember seeing him do that and being so intrigued and him being like, yo, you can scratch. And um, and I learned how and he was like, all right, you got to get a needle. You can use these, but you have to get your own needle. So I saved up, grabbed a needle. I was working a full time job. And I just like got obsessed with being able to scratch and like coming up with like little mini routines for hours. And I got a pair of like really crappy uh, turntables that were like belt drive. 
didn't know what I was doing. Just found some stuff on eBay, set it up. And I was like, I'm a DJ now. And then, um, but like life stuff happened. And then like a year later, year into that, whatever, I started, you know, doing hard drugs, getting arrested all the time. Then I went through that whole situation, um, got into a couple institutions and then I got out, got sober for real. And it, it was like maybe a year or two years before I even like had it in my head. I think I subconsciously knew like, yo, you got to get like, you got to get right here and right here before you try to do anything else besides recovery. And I did. And I found, you know, a friend that sold me his pair of turntables, got back into it. And there was like, I was living in New Hampshire and there was a little hip hop scene, believe it or not. And there was like these weekly hip hop shows and they would do like an open mic and it was 18 plus. And I was like maybe 19 or something at the time. And uh, I was like dabbling here and there. You know I mean? I dabbled for a few years and then there was like an OG in town, Def Rock. Um, and he, he invited me over to, to his studio and he had this studio with like all these seventies cents and records and like, and uh, seemed like endless amounts of NPCs and, you know, the sequencers and stuff. And I was like, what is happening? And I, and he was like, yo, you got to get this. And it was the NPC 1000. And he showed me a couple things, like how you could chop a sample and manipulate it. And it was like this is it. Like I need this. <laughs> and I was DJing for a, you know, I would DJ, you know, local hip hop showcases and stuff like that. But that was like really the introduction of it. And then it was like really just trying to teach myself for years and tons of trial and error and like maybe some YouTube stuff here and there, sticky notes on the walls, like a, like a serial killer and just like just wanting it. You know what I mean? But I didn't have like people that come over the crib and show me how to do it. You know what I mean? So it was like, a lot of that. And I was in New Hampshire for years before, you know, anything really started to click. And so, cause you were talking about how, so you were 15 working a full-time job. And then how long was the break between when you first were introduced by your, and then when you got out and started taking seriously again, like what was that time period? That must've been like four ish, maybe five years. You know what I mean? It was like a year and a half of like going hard, not like getting introduced and like going hard and getting into trouble, but like a year and a half, almost two years. And then like two years of getting sober, you know, getting my mind right and everything. And then being like, okay, cool. I can, you know, I can get into this. So did you drop out of school? Cause you said you're working the full-time job. So this is a crazy part. I've never been to school in my life. Oh, really? Yeah, so my mother homeschooled me, my brother and sister. They went to school like later on in life. And then I dropped out when I was 16. I dropped out of homeschooling legally. And I just started, I was working full time. Like my, that was another thing. I was like, it was always New York too. It was weird. It was like, at that point, I didn't realize like people could actually make it in music. So I was like, all right, well, I really love cooking. And I fell in love with cooking. So I thought, Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna get my GED at 17, then move to New York, go to culinary school, open up a restaurant, and then like I'll have a, like a speakeasy in the back, so that I can still enjoy you know do, making music and DJing and stuff like that. And you know, then I just crashed and burned really hard. 
<laughs> well, man, it's never too late. You could still do it. You've just got the music part down, Pat. It's never like, because I, I've, I've found, and I personally, I'm also into cooking. Like, I think the weird thing is of like the way cooking used to be talked about isn't like it's talked about now. Like it genu- genuinely is creative in the sense of like, I've noticed that a lot of, you know, artists are also into cooking because they've tapped into this like weird place within themselves of like, oh, I can find creativity within the kitchen and I can like play with ingredients and and really tap into it, even the visualization of it all. So it kind of makes sense. I mean, like I said, it's never too late for you to be able to do that at some point. I wouldn't be hand as hands-on, but that is one of the goals. Like, I mean, I worked in kitchens for maybe 12 years and that just ruined it. Um, but I still love food. I still will open a restaurant down the road. You know what I mean? Um, called Kensington Alley. And that'll happen. Some good comfort and farmer food. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that's the cool part about, like, seeing where hip-hop artists can go is like how, where they can go outside of just the music. I think that's oh, yeah. like what we're seeing way more of is like hip hop is now almost like an avenue for the rest of your life in the sense of it opens these doors for you to realize dreams that you had as a kid, like that restaurant dream. Like I, I just think that's an awesome, awesome thing to to go down. And then obviously you got your artists who are just like pure artists that they don't want to do anything else. But that's what I'm seeing way more of is it's tapping into this like, oh, awesome, I can do this and now I want to do this and I want to do this and I want to supplement everything that I do. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. You see it with like Bun B um, and, you know, you're seeing certain people get into like coffee and just like different businesses and like those are the like, I mean, everyone, you know, everyone's smart, but like people that are doing that, that's incredible. That's beautiful because like also, you know, we get we get residuals on songs, stuff like that, but it's like, all right, we are like, you got to figure out your retirement plan at some point. You know what I mean? So it's like, if the music might not be the full retirement plan or maybe you didn't stash something or invest, it's like, all right, then, you know, you like get different businesses, you know, take that music, still, you still do it. But it's like, all right, what, like you said, what are other things that you wanted to do that maybe were an idea that might've not been fathomable when you were younger and you didn't have the capital or you didn't have the connections. Now you have capital now you have connections and now you have the doability of it. For sure. Yeah, and, and you have the, like we were talking about at the beginning of the dis- discipline, like you've got enough like yeah. experience to know that you can get through the ups and the downs. Cause I think when you're young, you have this like false idea of, Hey, it's always going to be uphill. I know it's going to be tough potentially, but it's always uphill. But you, what you don't see is like the up and the down and like you really go through the plateaus and then there's always this feeling of like, am I really in this forever? But when you're older, you've gone through that already. You know that you can get through it. You know that you can deal with the challenges. So those other dreams, you're like, okay, this is part and parcel with what I did before. It's just slightly different in a new realm, essentially. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, I agree with that because it's like I, I mentioned earlier, you know, when I was just cooking and hip hop was dabbling and it was a dream and, and whatever. It's like, oh, OK, I didn't know that you could make a living 
maybe not be rich, but you could work your way up and this and that. And like, there's so many places to fit in with hip hop and the consistency and being disciplined and taking it serious have so much to do with that, where it's like in the beginning you go, Oh man, like I'm not, I'm not a top five. So I'm, I'm I shouldn't even try. You know what I mean? It's like, no, you can do it. Just keep at it. Take it seriously, build a business, build a brand, just like anything else. And it's like, uh, you know, taking plenty of risks in this and seeing lots of down, lots of up, lots of in between. And for me, like I'm a spiritual dude. So it's like, I know I have a higher power that's always got my back, no matter what's going on. It's like good, bad, in between. It always works out somehow. I don't know. I don't know if I'm lucky or, or what. I believe it's a higher power, but everything always works out. Yeah. Do you think that stops people looking at the top five and them going, they're just too far away from me to be even possible? It could, it could definitely. It's like, if you're not, if you're not looking, cause I mean, also there's a lot of, you know, smoke and mirrors. It's like, you might be someone that only knows like top fives, top tens, and you're not like really in it, in it. You're not seeing the underground. You're not seeing, oh, there's executives. Oh, people are on YouTube making money or people are doing this, making money. And you're just seeing someone that's buying CDs or just whatever. And you're doing it. You're not connecting with anyone in the community. The big thing is like, finding people that are successful or at least paying their bills, you know what I mean? And, Oh, Hey, I'm friends with this guy or a woman. And, Oh, this is really happening. Um, Cause yeah, you can easily let that. I mean, I know for me, I usually let that get the best of me. Um, when I started doing music full time, I got fired from a job for the first time in my life. And I was like swearing up a storm, pissed off, scared, and then I thought for a second, oh, this is exactly what I need. And that evening I went, so, you know, went home, cooked up and the amount of drive that I had of thinking, I gotta make something happen. Not I want to, or I wish to, I have to make something happen. The amount of like productivity that I had that night was insane. And I was also lucky too, because I, I was in a accountability team of men at the time. And so like those men were not going to let me fail where we had uh, weekly meetings of accountability and check-ins and making sure that we were all doing what we said we were doing. So it's like having that, having closed mouth friends, having a support system is really huge. Letting people in because it, it is a, it is a crazy thing to do. And it is something that people won't, won't want to or don't want to get vulnerable about you know the stuff that we go through as artists yeah yeah i think you're right that people don't realize what they could possibly do and all the things that they could possibly do because like even still i'm still learning of like all the different jobs within hip-hop let alone the music industry in general and like how many mouths actually you know are fed off creating music and sometimes it's like hey, maybe your path isn't to be the rapper. Maybe your path is to be, you know, the sound engineer. Maybe it's not even to do that. Maybe it's like even in just like the legal team or whatever it might be, like you just never know. And I think the the best artists that I've spoken to, they're open to seeing where the journey takes them. 
Like some yeah. pe- some people, the the best ones are like, I wanted to be the the artist that's on the mic, and I realized at some point that that's not for me. And but what I was really good at was like producing and making the beats, and so I stuck to that, and that's where I am now and successful because of it, as opposed to, hey, I just want to be the the star in in shining lights. So I think that that is definitely an important piece to be maneuverable enough to make the right moves and take the right opportunities as opposed to being stubborn and just like slamming your head against the wall, essentially. Like it's weird. Stubborn and determination are are like similar, but different because you got to see sometimes the writing on the wall. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, That's a, that's a huge, that's a really valid point. I know for me, I was able, you know, sometimes your pride gets in the way, you know what I mean? And sometimes, and it's okay to have that pride and to get crushed and to feel sad and have the doubts and stuff. Well, that's why you were motivated. You got fired. I, and yeah. and then all of a sudden, because I think that is the best thing you, that you can ever be is like take negativity. And if you can somehow channel it into positive positivity, and like you were able to make yourself accountable, you had people that you were speaking to, so that's like the the ego is good because it can get you to be like fuck, I want to do more or I know I can do better. So yeah, that I mean that happened with you. Oh yeah, no that that definitely happened. So it's like I remember coming to New York and thinking like my beats were sick, like they were <laughs> nasty, and then I'll say it. So, you know, I linked up with Static, Static Selector, and Terminology, and they became, like, my my OGs, my big homies, showed me everything. You know, I followed Static everywhere. You know, he he molded me. He he taught me the game, Static term. Like, they, they just – it was crazy how that happened. You know, I looked up to them, and they were un, unattainable people, and then they became some of my closest friends. And they just, you know, it's like an artist. It was, it was like a natural artist development. And I remember being like, yeah, my beats are crazy. Static was like, yo, you got dope beats, you know, blah, blah, this and that. And then like the first pack I sent to Term and he, that he listened to, he was like, yo, you really, you thought those were good? He's like, yo, those were trash. You wasted my time. And I was late for a DJ gig and I only waited for him to show up to the spot we were at to say what up and peace. So I, I had to leave. So leaving, it looked like I left with, I kind of did with my tail between my legs, but like every day when I made beats, I was like, I have to make better beats than that. I have to make better beats than that. I have to. And then, you know, we've done mad tracks together now. You know what I mean? So it's like, I took those things I might not have felt positive even when I was using them, but I used it in a positive situation. And it's like, when I came to New York, I was, you know, in New Hampshire and Maine, Mass, whatever, like I was DJing and then I was trying to make producing happen. And then I was learning audio engineering at the same time because I just wanted to be able to mix my own stuff that I made the beats for. Because I heard, you know, Dre does that, Primo does that static does that so i was like all right those guys do it like that means i have to be able to mix my own stuff i moved to new york you know i'm trying to figure it out whatnot and i'm like hitting up every spot i'm really knocking on nightclub doors bar doors i'm getting the worst dj gigs like it's just trash it is hard in the streets and then all of a sudden producing 
starts moving and DJing starts dwindling. And I was like, man, this sucks. But like, I kind of have to let this happen. And I was like, instead of chasing those, just like work hard and which whatever happens is what's, you know, let that happen. And I started making more money on beats and getting the notoriety with that. And I, you know, I kind of solidified a certain point. Um, and then at some point in engineering started happening more often. The intern opened up a studio. We had over, I think it was like 93 clients and a lot of repeat clients the first year that we opened up the studio. And I told term, yo, I don't know what's going to happen. I've never opened up a studio before. I've only recorded at the crib and we had, you know, we had that much success. And then, you know, it was kind of equal parts. It was like producing engineering. And then like lately, you know, producing has not gone down, but has kind of stayed and is still growing. But now engineering is just like, I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd say taking off, but it's, it's bigger than what I ever thought it would be. You know what I mean? Like my main gig is an engineering thing and producing is where it's been at. You know what I mean? Like now I work for DJ Premier as, his, as one of his engineers and that's my day job. And it's like that the only reason why I learned how to engineer was because I knew he mixed his own stuff. So it's just let it happen, man. <laughs> that is honestly crazy. I will definitely ask you about DJ Premier premiere in a moment because i'm a massive fan as no surprise to be honest um but yeah it what did term say like what was his feedback on those beats i'm interested in that like because you send him beats do you think they're good he says they're not good he said they were trash and i wasted his time did he say why they were trash or did he just straight up was just like these Okay, so it was yeah. up to you to figure but it out. Time too, you know what I mean? But it was like, I, I think at that point, like the way that me and Static's relationship, it was like, I would just show up and just like chill and like watch him make beats. And then I'd like every like couple of hours, like, what's that? What are you doing there? And be like, oh, I'm doing this. It makes it sound, you know, it makes it sound like this. Be like, all right, cool. And then I'd be like, all right, how can I implement that but not copy exactly what he's doing? You know what I mean? And then that kept going. And then it was like, all right, now I'm kind of bored. So I would make beats on my headphones. And like at one point we had a pool table in his studio. And I did a whole series called Pool Table Beats. It was like pool table one through 45. Like every beat. So in my head, I was like, all right, these are like inspiring beats because I'm watching Static make beats while I'm making beats. So, but yeah, term was like, and he knows this. We talk about this all the time. This is not like a, you know, this, we, this has been in the group conversations where he was like, yo, they're trash. And now we've done tons of tracks together. I've been on his album. He's been on my album. We've been on other people's albums together. I've, you know, we're working on a bunch of stuff right now too. So, you know, things change. You have to get better. It's honestly good. He was honest with you. Yeah. Because he could have he could have been quote unquote kind and said, Yeah, they're not bad. Yeah, they're pretty good. They're not right for me. And you would have not known 
how he actually felt and you would have not been forced to change and to get better. But his honest criticism and his honest feedback, I think that's the challenge of the world we're in today of like, you know, if you soften everything, it actually limits the person's ability to grow. And there is a difference between honest feedback and malicious feedback. And like, I think that that only helped you for him to be like, this is not at the standard it needs to be. And if you, and if it, that demotivated you, that would have been the sign that anyone needed, which is like, Hey, if you're not really into it and you just want everyone to say you're amazing, then this is not the industry for you because ultimately you will always have to get better because this is not the place of we do the same shit. I could have quit right there. You know, and if, if I wasn't coachable at that point, you know what I mean? And yeah, like I've done, I've done like, uh, two like beat, like showcase kind of battle things where like the first one, they were like, yeah, they're cool ideas and this and that. I was like trying some different things. I was like, dude, what is that? Like, tell me what's wrong with them. Like I want, like dig into me. I want it. And then the second one I got, like, I think I got like second place. And, you know, there was like a, there was like an older ish, like you could tell he was a super engineer dude, like not, not making beats or anything. And he was digging into everybody hard. When it got to me, he started talking and I was like, bro, I've been waiting for you because you're, you're picking everybody apart. Like, tell me everything. And he, you know, and I got good feedback, but I got second place because I took everything else before that um, into consideration. Like, you know, static told me, Hey, you got to do this better. Hey, you know, your, your baselines are not in tune with the sample things like that. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, if if you want to really help somebody really tell them what's up. Yeah. Yeah. Cause if you, if you don't, then you don't like, they're never going to get better. Yeah. They're just going to stay there and it could be your fault. Their failure could be your fault. Yeah. I might ask the person, do you want my actual honest opinion? Because I can sound, I could, I might sound mean right now if I don't ask you that. Cause I want, Hey, can I, are you okay with me giving this real feedback? Because there is, like you said, it's like there's malicious and then there's real feedback. Like I am all for, I want people to be nice to each other. Say what you mean, live life and purpose, live life with love. No fake vibrato stuff when it's not needed. Like, just be, you know, just in harmony with life and being happy. But when you need to say something, you should be able to say something in a manner of being well-spoken, for sure. Yeah. Well, my my corporate career has always been in, like, managing teams and managing people. And the first thing I always say to them is, like, understand that, I have high standards. I'm difficult to please, but mm. the feedback that I give you is never about you. It's never a personal attack. It's never going to be personal. I'm only going to talk about the work and understand that I know that you can do better. And so mm. it will. And so that's always the preface of like, this is our yeah. relationship. It will never be personal. You may not like the feedback that I give all the time, but it will always be like, hey, I believe and I know that you can do better and ultimately you'll see enough growth to come back and be like, hey, 
you were right. I didn't like it at the time, but you were right, and I fixed it, and now we're, we're seeing the ultimate growth. And I think that is exactly what we're talking about of going, hey, I'm here to help. This feedback is actually to help you. It's not to hinder you. It's not to make you feel bad. It, and if you feel bad, that's actually kind of sometimes the journey you need to be able to fix it. Because if you don't feel bad or you don't feel a little bit of disappointed disappointment, then there's nothing to inspire you to change. Right. Yeah. No. It's, if, if it stings, that's good. If it stings, that's good. Use it. Like you said. All right, I w- now we're going to move on to Primo because uh, if I wasn't, I to be fair, there was a period where I probably talked about Primo like once a week, like every single episode. It's been a while since I spoke about him, but how did that work of working with him and that is your, it's so funny when you're like, that's my day job because it's like, do you know how many people would want that as their day job? That's like the dream for a lot of people of like being able to rub shoulders with, arguably the best producer of all time. He's had a hand in so many different artists uh, around the the evolution of hip-hop, 90s, 2000s, 2010s. That, like, it is crazy. He'll try to replicate his beats to this day and always will. Yeah. But how, how did you end up being able to work with him? And now, obviously, you have that working relationship of, like, this is what I do. Um, I mean, everything's a long journey. Um, you know, it's also working for Prem, so it's like I won't get into all of it. Um, but like, you know, he's like he's Static's OG. He's everybody's OG, but like he's definitely Static's OG. You know, they have a they have a a good relationship as friends, and you know, same with Term. Like Term's done a bunch of bunch of work with him i think he's he's done like 10 joints with preen um and you know just like from being around you know uh static showed me the world like he showed me everything he introduced me to everybody being around seeing preen and like oh my god you know what i mean like thank you but like you know you gotta play cool and like all this kind of stuff and um <laughs> But, you know, it was just like he knew I was around and, um, you know, and he, and he he noticed my production, um, you know, before we even worked together. He was playing my records on his show um, on Sirius. And that right there was just like, oh, my God. You know what I mean? Like I, my mind was bl- being blown every time. And it happened a few times. Um, and uh I know, like, with Tabula Rasa, it was pretty steady with um, the joint with XP, the Marksman, and Dome Piece, the DXA. Uh, He played a few joints. And, uh, you know, there was a couple other joints. He actually played a a joint. um, It was the first time Bobby – might have been my first time that Prima had ever played a song. And it was uh, was like a B-side of one of Bobby J's joints that I produced – and then, like, he, then Preem played, like, a, a B-side of, like, a, a term record that I did on, on Vintage Horns for him. Um, so it was, like, it was really just, you know, over time. It was a very gradual thing. Um, and then, you know, a lot of solidifying, I, I would say, would be with, you know, having the studio with term and, you know, 
all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it was, it was an overtime thing. It wasn't a, an overnight, there's no, and you know, in this type of situation and, and work, like we don't really have job applications and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. It's not like you go on LinkedIn and you're like, Hey, Oh, look, DJ premier is looking for a sound engineer. I wonder what the J job description looks like. Let me get my resume together. Let me get a cover letter and let me get like, yeah, this is not, it's not the industry for that. It's mind blowing. It's like, cause it's, it's, uh, you know, working with people that I've looked up to for so long, you know, it's, it's just wild. It's like, you know, like I said, term and static are like my brothers, you know what I mean? Like they're my older brothers. Um, Kareem is a close friend of mine now and uh you know fame it's just like all these you know all these dudes that like i you know it being in new hampshire you're like oh maybe i'll dm them or something like that never get a reply and now you know that's the biggest thing too is i see and it's a big reason why i moved to new york too because it's like people will be like oh yeah you got to go out to network it's like yeah I go out, I sh- if I go out and I don't go out as much because now my going out has turned into becoming busy and a positive. Um, and I go out when I can and I have, you know, I'm a father now and stuff like that. Um, but it's like, you know, I might show my face, but I just, I got friends. I have a bunch of friends that happen to be, you know, either chasing the same dream that I have or they already chased it and they're there and we're just doing all the same stuff. And some of them are equals, some of them are, you know, not. And then some of them are skyrocketed above, you know? So it's it's a pretty crazy, you know, life just to be in. Yeah. I'm sure you look at your life now and be like, I cannot believe that this is the way I'm living as opposed yeah. to when I mean, you were 15. Everybody that, you know, has been able to get to a, any place in hip hop, I'm sure goes through that. But it's like when it's happened on the daily basis you're like hey I'm, I'm i'm showing up i'm here for the job hey let's make this happen hey let's do this today and then we have a conversation or i talk to one of my old buddies or i just sit and i'm just like whoa <laughs> what is happening <laughs> you know it's it's a blessing it's it's always something to be grateful for and you gotta you gotta snap out of you know what's going on and, and just be grateful for those moments and then go harder yeah. I think I think that is almost the hardest part being grateful. And like allowing yourself to enjoy the moment. Everyone says the journey is the most enjoyable part because it's almost simple in that sense of like you're you're just getting through it, but then when you're where you wanted to be or you achieve a goal, you're like, "Oh, I kind of miss that feeling of not knowing of yeah. the grind and the struggle." Yeah. So yeah, I always want more work. So I'm just like, you know, I'm I'm at home with my daughter three days a week, and then I work four days a week out. And you know, if she's taking a nap or when she goes to bed, I'm doing stuff or something like this, um, or just you know, be on the phone. It's like you know, it's a nonstop thing. But you know, those four days, it's like 12, 14 hour days. And I'm loving it, you know. Um, but yeah, you know, it's easy to get jaded. It's easy to do any of that kind of stuff. And yeah, that process, like you got, if you're not enjoying the process of getting there, then it's just, that's what you're supposed to be. You're not supposed, you're not, if you're doing something that you love, that you love, it, 
it shouldn't be the end game that you love because there's not a promise for the end game. Like I'm in a great position where I'm at today, but I'm in nowhere near my end game. I'm nowhere near where I would want or, I mean, I love where I'm at. I don't get me wrong. I love where I'm at, but like that, like you gotta just keep boom, 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 keep going. If that's what you want, if that's not what you want, that's totally fine. Nobody has to, and nobody has to be a dream chaser. There's a huge nobility in someone that's not creative or maybe is creative one day a week and they have a job that they're, that they can stand and they, you know, maybe they want to be a family person and, and that's what, why they have their job. There's a beautiful sense in that. It's all like for me, like I have, I know, and I have my purpose in life and that's all I need. My purpose is different from the other person's purpose. And it, as long as you, I would say as long as you know it, but there's people that don't know it and that's okay too. But if you want to be happy in life and have it make sense, figure out what your purpose is and don't be ashamed of what it is. Yeah. And, and don't be scared to try and find it. Like, yeah. I think fear stops us from trying stuff. Fear of judgment, fear of being bad at things. Like, yeah, I think, I think that's the other part of like, sometimes you get in your own way and you let doubt stop you from finding your purpose. And then that's what, that's my biggest fear, honestly, is being old and being jaded and being, filled with regret that I didn't try something that I could have tried, even though I knew instinctively there was something, there was a part of me that said, you need to go do this. And I never did. You got to listen to those. That's why I moved to New York city. Cause I was like, I was at the time I was in a relationship and I thought being in a relationship was holding me back and like this and that and my job and whatever. And come to find out it was me. I was, I had fear. Um, and I knew if I didn't at least give New York a try for a few years, then I would grow old. I would have a family and I would hate them and I would hate myself. And I wasn't okay with that. So I was like, at least, you know, what's the big, I mean, it was a crazy thing to do. It was hard. But what's like, really, what are you going to lose from that? Like, just take a leap and just do it. And if it doesn't work out and you feel like you're okay. Like say I moved out here and it didn't work out and I didn't get in the position I'm in today, but I knew in my heart that I gave it everything I could that I was capable of and that I could handle and didn't work out. Okay. Go back to do something else. And you have, you know, you live once, but you have time, figure something else out. And like, for me, the two biggest fears and you can almost, so, like, the biggest one is, and you might not realize it when it's happening. Most people don't. But it's, like, lots of layers to get to the center. It's almost always fear. Probably 85 to 90% of the time. And I would say most of that time, you can trace it back to the origin of fear of other people's opinions. Even if you're one of those people that say, oh, I don't care what people think. It's okay to say that. Totally okay to say that. 
but you just haven't peeled back the layers enough yet. Because as humans, it goes all the way down to fear of other people's opinions. And then the real kicker, most people think that it's fear of failure. And I would say, yes, that's a thing for sure. But fear, flip it and fear of success. Fear of success holds a lot more responsibility. And it's a bigger thing to handle. Because what if you do succeed? Your life is going to be crazy if you succeed. Some people don't realize they have fear of success. And it will get in their way. And they will stay there disciplined and do all these cool new foo-foo things. <laughs> but they won't go as hard because they'll see how full those people's lives are that are successful. And they don't want that. They actually don't want it. I have a bit of fear of success. I know that for sure. Like fear of success is the weirdest thing to me because like fear of failure, your life doesn't really change because you went for it and you can turn around and like, I went for it. I gave it my all. I can be okay with that. And so you get, that's easy to overcome. But I think fear of success is really challenging because like there are thoughts even in my own head where I'm like, oh, I'd love to sleep in today. Where it was like, oh, it, it would be nice if Neff said he wasn't free. Like I wouldn't like it, but it would all that there was a part of me that was like the, the, the part that's holding me back is like thinking about that of like, then, okay, if he comes on, then we do a good job. And then, then it's the next person and his connections and people he knows start to know about me. And then all of a sudden it's like the pressure of getting better continues. And so like, but ultimately that's what I want but it's also just this this weird person in inside of you this like alter ego in a way that's like hey live your comfortable life right now forget about the other stress because ultimately success just breeds more stress and more responsibility for sure yeah and the it's you said like the comfortability the last part of the comfortability that you mentioned not the first part i'm also a big believer in that as well like don't get comfortable. Don't do the, you know, what you were talking about, like, oh, it'd be nice. Because, yeah, that's cool. It would be nice. But, like, did you play a part in that? Because, like, all right, hey, if something cancels and you don't have anything, go relax. Go enjoy life. Because that's another thing, too. It's, like, for me, if you're not taking the time to relax – taking the time to take your brain out and put it to the side, doing something like I've discovered smoking pipe tobacco and having that as a whole hobby and collecting pipes and restoring pipes. I subconsciously knew that I needed something to kind of just zone out for a bit. Cause when I'm not doing that, I can feel it. Like if I'm just going, going, which you should be always grind, but like, you know, spend time with your family when you can try to carve some time out but don't neglect your workload but we will we will be better entrepreneurs if we carve out that time and purposefully relax purposefully you know do something that's not work related for me it's all about is there purpose behind this no matter what i'm doing i need 
it to be purposefully. Yeah. I think purpose and, and grind with balance. You can be purposeful in the way you grind. It doesn't have to be. I think there's a misnomer about the the need for it to be no rest. And all I do, I don't sleep. I just grind and I just, but grinding long-term is about routine habits, about making sure that you're in a place that is good. And yeah, I mean, I also know that the, on the flip side, if, if you did cancel, I would probably still get up and I'd be like, well, fuck, I still got to get another interview at some stage because I actually don't want to, quit what I'm doing and I don't want it to fail. So then I, it actually creates more work than anything else. So like, it's just the, the self-sabotage of it all that, that is still there. And it's like, it's on everything. It's like, you know, when it comes to diet, when it comes to, you know, it's just goes back to our vices of like, what are we scared of? And, and what insecurities are we still managing? Because ultimately we are our own worst enemies like and that is what we have to try and overcome yeah for sure and we're we're like we're in a weird place in the world right now because there's a lot of things that people are fighting for that are great but when you have to fight for things they're like going over the top so they get here but the beauty the beauty of what i've been seeing lately is like people like are being more open and okay about therapy and like self-preservation and being in touch and like being okay with having conversations like these that can go on the internet whereas like a few years even just a few years ago probably like i've been you know i've been in recovery and and self-work for a long time so it's i'm no stranger to it but there were a lot of people that would never a few years ago express anything self-doubt it was like, dude, but it's there. It's there. You don't have to be embarrassed. It's just something. It's like fixing a cup of coffee. Like, you, you know, how are you going to make it? That's it. Well, I think you're more interesting for overcoming it than for never having it. I think that's why, like, you know, if you look at superheroes, that's why Superman is boring as shit. Because, like, he doesn't have quote-unquote weaknesses. Whereas, like, someone like Batman you can see the weaknesses. It's like the flaws in his character are all over. And so we naturally as humans can be like, oh, I see all the weaknesses. I see the contradictions. And, and those are the things. That's that's what I've always liked in, in characters. And they're the best characters for me right now is the people who are kind of a mess but have potential. Um, and I think that's that's kind of who we are as humans. We're all a bit of a mess and we all have potential. Yeah. No, I see that for sure. What What have you learned with Primo? Like have you, in terms of the way he works, is there anything that, that stands out to you of like something that you're like, oh, no, this is something that I have to implement now in, in the way that I go about my own music or my own career? Well, you know, the thing is, is I'm not going to say like, oh, we're similar because he is just so far up there. But, you know, the thing is, we get along really well. Um, He's an amazing person. He's a super cool dude. You know, you will get your heart broken meeting your heroes. That's a that's a complete fact. I learned that after moving to New York. Um, 
but he wasn't that for me. You know what I mean? And we got along really well. Uh, and we do get along really well. Um, you know, he's, he's very, the things that I got and can relate, but for him, you know, obviously for him, he's on a higher playing field is like being emotional with music. You know what I mean? Like putting, putting you into that music, um, like do it till it feels good. That is more so what I'm saying. Like you can be technical and all this kind of stuff, but like make sure it feels good and like you're just in the groove because music is unexplainable. Like the way, like we have so many technologies and things like this, but it's like music has always like really been here and some like sound, you know, sound. I don't think it was like created. Like we had sounds and we started learning how to manipulate it and then it turned into this and it's gonna turn into that. And it's like it's part of us, you know. Um, so it's really it's those are the things that I've I mean, I've got a lot of technical things that I've learned from him. And you know, we talk about different ways of doing stuff, which is cool, but just like that, that uh that feel good with your music and like um he just has a lot of care and attention like so much care and attention to everything that he does so yeah i mean that's there's i'm sure there's a laundry list of things but yeah those are like two big ones yeah yeah i think attention to detail is always something that i've admired in him just because like obviously he has the samples that he chooses and then you know, the sample breakdowns that you can see on like track lib and they're like the tiniest samples. And I'm like, how the fuck did you find that? Like how, not only how did you find it, but how did you listen to it and be able to hear it and be like, I could take that like such a small section, but then to elongate it and then reverse it and, and whatever he does with it. And those attention to detail, I'm like, no, these are the reasons why you're, the goat like, yeah. the, the, like, like that. Oh, I listened until i found a loop like he, the things he does it's insane it's wild it's amazing we needed it we need it we always will yeah yeah but i do love that thing of like the feeling of like music genuinely is a feeling because i was having this conversation with my brother the other day and i was like music is so strange in that it's just impact like you can't describe it because different music feels different for different people and not like this one song doesn't feel the same for every every human alive it feels different for everyone and there's like there's just this rhythm and this cadence to it and it just makes you go feel up or down um and i think that's the the best part of music is that it gets you it, you don't know what it gets you to feel but as long as it makes you feel something that's the important part it doesn't have to be positive or negative like no for sure and it's like that's what we're trying to do at the end of the day like i'm making music because it's hopefully that like all right the way that i make music is i just like i i when i make a beat i let whatever is inside of me take over and then at some point i have to fine tune it and there's gonna be a group of people out there that's gonna like that there's a lot of people in the world but I'm not gonna, I, I'm not one of the people that's like, yeah, I make music for me or like I only make music for people. My purpose in life is to make music so people can heal from it and escape from life. 
but I'm not also going, I'm not one of these producers that goes on like Spotify or YouTube or Billboard and is like, I'm going to replicate what they're doing because that's what people want. I'm going to make what comes naturally to me. And I know there's a group of people there that are going to enjoy that. As you should. Like that, I've always said this, that your best copy of someone else is never going to be as good as the original. But your best version of yourself is going to be the best version that anyone will ever be able to replicate. So like you're better off being yourself rather than a B grade version of somebody else. Right. Cause they're being their self. Yeah. So what, I mean, not what, right, but it's like, yo, they came up with something on their own and now you want to be that. That's fine. If that's what you want to be, that's I'm totally, whatever people want to do, totally okay with that. But for me, I'm not okay doing that. You know, like I might, Maybe I can implement this way of doing something, but I'm going to have me and people are, you know, I also am a, one of the producers that's, you know, I'm not just making beats, I'm producing and I'm not just this I'm I'm that. Like, I'm also an artist. I'm in the front of everything that I do. And, you know, so I, I have that to go along with it, you know? Yeah. And, and it's clearly working for a reason. Like there's a reason people gravitate to your music. There's a reason that people like Term and, and Static and obviously Primo are, you know, feeling what you do. It's mm. it's because like even even when like I'm listening, I'm like, there's like almost no fake here. It's just honesty. <laughs> yeah, you did. Hi. Hello. <laughs> Can you say hi everyone? Can you say hi? You want something else? Okay, all right. We're going to go change the TV. <laughs> <laughs> no, no stress. That was, uh, that was uh, Neff's little one um, for, for anyone who missed that. Um, he said before we started the show that um, he would... It's- I'll yeah, right he back. did say he he'll be right back. He did say this before we started recording that she'll she'll come in at some stage. Um literally an hour on the nose uh as well. He said it probably has an hour. So um we will uh be right back, folks. Give us a sec. Yo, yo, yo. I'm back. There we uh, are. Yeah, I don't know how much more time I have, but yeah, yeah. Well, I only actually have one more question for you. So oh, okay. uh we, we were actually, it was actually good timing, but, and you were honest, it was an hour on the nose that she came in. You really? Said, We've got about yeah. an hour and she came in like an hour on the nose. She heard you, she must've known. Um, and to everybody, I don't just let my daughter watch TV all day. This was very <laughs> planned out. I didn't let her watch any TV. And after this, there's going to be no TV. I don't do that. No, no shade on anyone that does, but not me. Well, it's it clearly worked because let's be honest, I've had episodes with kids in the background and it is very difficult to record. Um, and so, hey man, you got to do what you got to do. Sometimes I think that's parenting one hundred and one. No, for sure. And, I, and I've done uh, I've done interviews like especially when it was like quasi lockdown still, and she was super young, where like she was right there, you know, 
an infant, like taking naps. And then she was like in my arms for half of the Zoom. You know what I mean? So I just made it work. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you are a parent. You do have responsibilities. And I'm not going to sit here and be the guy who's like, how dare you take care of your child and not give me a thousand percent of your attention? Like I'm the child. I would say that was, that was pretty good. An hour. That's pretty amazing. That's yeah. That was great for under three. Honestly, I was like silent. Like there's no noise in the, yeah, no, I'm very impressed. You're clearly doing the right thing. Last question. The only question that I plan on the show, probably my toughest question. If you had to recommend one album that everybody should listen to at least once to get an appreciation of, cannot be your own music, but can be any genre of music, what would it be? Abbey Road. Why? It just does things. I mean, I grew up on the Beatles. I grew up on hippie music. And that, to me, is one of the best albums of all time. And it's like any, I don't care who you are, Pretty much anybody can get down with that. The way it was recorded, what was happening in in the world at that point, just where they were as a group, what like everything that it. I mean, I don't know. It's just that can't be replicated. And no matter what I'm going through, I could be going through a bad time in life, and I need that. I could be going through a good time in life, and I need that. For for my daughter, that was one of the first. For me, out of like playing non-kid music, she liked that. And I was like, almost every single song. And just there, like for me, like learning as a father, like children under a certain age are like way more human than we are. Because you have to think like we grew up as humans, like in nature, farming, doing like what stuff that's natural to us as the animal form of a human as a homo sapien and like pretty much everything that we do now is not natural on how we're built we buy meat at a store we're supposed to go and be the superior animal and win a fight and kill that being and take a bite of its heart when we do it like we just don't it's just i don't know so when i saw her like it's always been my favorite album but when i saw a child at two years old jam out to that i was like this is just everything everybody can jam out to that that's awesome arguably the best answer i've had as to why why a particular album but i i do agree we're like results of society in a weird way we're manufactured and we're shaped and molded by society and i think that yeah, I think children have the purest form of any emotion. They have unadulterated joy, sadness, confusion. They just, every emotion they feel is very pure because they haven't been molded yet. They're still very raw in their purest form. So being able to see that in your daughter, but also an album that you really love as well, would have been pretty amazing to see. That's my answer. Stick into it. <laughs> well, great answer. And obviously I am always appreciate 
appreciative of, of people like yourself coming on the show, the one and only uh, Neff. You'll see him. Uh, he's on Instagram, produced by Neff. Um, as we said, he is working with some amazing artists. Um, recent project that came out, as we said, Radio Days with Bobby J. Um, make sure you check it out. There's promos on IG as well. Um, but, man, your music is genuinely fantastic like it is such a good quality i'm not just saying that um like the beats the samples just the way it works the way it's structured like it just does get you to to feel something and for anyone who hasn't listened i can only urge you to make sure you do but man it's been an absolute pleasure and is there anything else you wanted to plug anything else you wanted to shout out you just plugged everything for me. Um, I will say, I don't know when this will drop, but Bobby and I, uh, Bobby J and I did just the other day drop the, like, behind, not like really behind the scenes and not really mini doc. Like, we just, we we put a piece of content out. Um, our boy Derek, like a machine, he filmed it for us where it's like, it's, we called it Beyond the Music, where it's like 15, it's either 15 or 17 minutes where we just talk about the album. So it's super dope. Um, it's in our it's in our bios. Um, definitely check that out. The album's been out for a little while now. Um, but yeah, always more to come. Uh, I've got a bunch of stuff out there that people can go back back catalog. And I really appreciate you having me on. This man reached out to me. Just I opened my phone, saw a DM, and uh, I was like, yeah, let's get it, bro. And he instantly was like, okay, cool. Here's the link. And we worked out a date, and it was super easy. So I appreciate that. Very organized and uh, professional. My pleasure, man. Hey, I realized a long time ago, if I'm going to ask you to come on my show, it's my job to make sure it's as easy and stress-free as possible. Um, and also, I want, the, I want you to be able to, I want you to want to come back on the show at some point. And if I make it difficult from the first moment, then that is never going to be a good feeling. Um, so, yeah. Oh, for sure. And, and man, yeah, I appreciate it. Obviously, I've been doing this for a little while and there's a lot for me to improve, but but that means a lot. And you giving me a time also means an absolute lot. So absolute pleasure. And we'll definitely have to do this again. All right, for sure. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the show. Please like and subscribe and follow me on Instagram at the underscore hip hop hustle for upcoming podcast news. Also, don't forget to check out my Patreon under Hip Hop Hustle for exclusive content and to help support the show. Bye for now.